Hey there, this is Jim Martin with Little Things First. Hi, Tracy. Hi, Jim. Uh, I can tell we're in a different spot. I feel like I have to explain ourselves a little bit. <laughs> Sounds kind of echoey, actually. But this is my work lair at home due to our COVID experience. And so we're taping actually at my house. And uh, you might hear some unusual sounds like creaky floors or... I don't know, maybe a chainsaw outside if someone's busy cutting something up. I don't know. It's, it's gonna, perfect. <laughs> it's going to be unusual. It's so, like a real studio. Uh, thanks for saying it, Jim, but <laughs> I know better. Hopefully it's not going to be so many disruptions and distractions that it's going to take away from our copy, but I think we've got I think we've got a good setup right now. Who are we talking to today? Okay, today we're going to be talking to Bla Brad Larrabee. He is one of the SEA National Distinguished Schools, and it's listed that he is a distinguished school with Iron River Elementary, but when I was communicating with him and asking him to come in, I noticed that he had listed two elementary schools that he's working with, so I I don't know the story there. We're going to have to find out more about the good work he's doing and what schools he's working with. And what state is he in? He's in Wisconsin. Oh, Wisconsin. Yeah. Okay, great. He's in Wisconsin. So let's go ahead and give him a call. And here we go. Brad Larrabee. Brad Larrabee. Good morning, it's Brad. Hi, Brad. This is Tracy Vandeventer. Thank you for jumping on our call today. You are more than welcome. Thanks for uh, including me. It's always fun to talk shop, uh, even on a, a light Saturday morning over a cup of coffee. <laughs> exactly. I'm with my friend Jim Martin here. He's my co-host. Hi, Brad. Welcome, Jim. How are you today? Great. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. So, not a, not a problem. Jim, tell us a little bit about yourself. I noticed that I was going off the ESEA list for the National Distinguished Schools, and it showed that Iron River Elementary was one of the award-winning schools. But when you responded to me, you actually said another school, uh, Northwestern Elementary. Tell me about that. So first, I guess, to paint the picture, you, you kind of got to know where we are. Um, so I'm, I'm in the, the, I call it God's country, the heart of God's country. I'm sure other people say that in you know, different parts of the world. But um, here in northern Wisconsin, if you, if you look at kind of a geographical region, um, kind of superior, um, if you know where Duluth, Minnesota is, superior Wisconsin, uh, the Twin Harbors there, that's roughly where our school district starts. And our school district runs 550 square miles on the south side of Lake Superior. Wow. Um, so geographically, we're a very large school district. Uh, in fact, I, I joke with our transportation director to Mexico and back every every week, every, you know, within days, we drive that amount of miles just to get our kids to school every day. Um, and of course, you know, in the middle of winter, when we're driving through 20 inches of snow, he'd rather be driving in Arizona. Yeah, um, that, that would be a but, better fit. So we are, um, a, we're a large geographical district but we're not a large district so we we seat about 1300 about 1300 students uh, a year that we have in, in our k-12 system uh, so with that we have kids that get on the school bus at 6 25 in the morning for an 805 start time oh. and they and and our, we dismiss at 310 and they arrive home somewhere between 5 30 and 6 o'clock depending on wow. road condition so when we talk about educational systems, I always use that as a platform because I have taught in large school districts, I've taught in cities, I've taught in rural small districts, and I've been an administrator in, in two rural districts 
Um, one is the second largest in the state of Wisconsin, which is the one I'm in currently, and the other one was the third largest in the state of Wisconsin. Uh, and I was a middle school principal there. And that's an important piece to consider because when we're talking about um, you know, success and struggles in education, we can't just say within the classroom. We got to talk about the societal ramifications and you know, our, what is our economic, economic status? What is our student demographics? And for us, culture includes being rural. Um, I taught in an inner city where our cultural conversations surrounding minority uh, races and cultural norms within those, those races Whereas now when I'm an administrator here, we have to have a conversation about, well, what is our, what is our culture and what is, uh, you know, some of the barriers that come with being in a large, um, we tend to be Caucasian, but we are a very large and rural uh, community where some of our kids in the COVID-19 era, they have not seen another child outside of their family for four months because yeah. they live in a place where riding your bike to go see your friends, well, you better have a 10 speed because it's going to take you a while. Um, you know, it's, it's just a different culture. And I, I lead in with that because you have to understand the complexity of our system versus um, when I taught in a large, uh, uh, large city and my students all lived within six to eight blocks of one another. Mm. Very different. So are you... Not supervising two schools then in that yes. large region so you go back and forth yes uh well actually yeah back to your question good steer um so i am the, the elementary principal for two schools uh, northwestern elementary school is uh, our larger of the two and uh, iron river is the smaller of our two and um, I, I use size as a reference because there's some uniqueness to, to both of them um, and i always talk with parents when they're moving into our district we have uh, ability for parents to choose which building they want to go to. And our larger being Western Elementary School um, is a, a pre-K through five school of about 540, 550 students. And within that, we have options. We have four sections at most grade levels. We have, you know, obviously there's differences amongst teams. And then we have uh, an encore schedule that offers some, some great opportunities for our kids. Um, and then our river is our smaller of the two. And, you know, historically we average somewhere around that 100 students uh, and we're a single section school, which, again, offers some some great opportunities because, as we know, with with the importance of culture and my staff have heard me say it many times, uh, culture comes first. When you know everybody and you know everybody's mom and you know everybody's grandma and grandpa, it's a very different teaching environment, which is a lot of uh, advantages to that. So, so in the district, we have good opportunities for our students and very purposefully have those good opportunities for our students. So do you think that the, I mean, so Iron River is the award-winning school, or is that right? That's correct. Okay. Um, do you think there's anything to be said about size? I mean, like, is it because of the size oh. of the school or, um, well, you know? I, go ahead. Um, I'm, I'm a... Uh, a former special education teacher and whenever I talk about behavior I always talk about well behavior is contextual and it, it's it can almost never exist in isolation uh, you know how we act within an environment we probably wouldn't act that same way if we just stood in a room in the dark um, you know so I think when you ask the question of does size matter I think it most definitely does it impacts it positively and, it, and negatively and when we talk about you know uh, like a single section school 
is it different if all of the data lays with one teacher versus laying with the team? Well, certainly. And if, you, if we have smaller class sizes, we all know this, um, you know, the research behind uh, um, Title I and, and class size reduction and whatnot, depending on what side of the equation you, you read, is, is indicative that if you have 15 kids instead of 25 kids, your amount of interaction with those 15 kids increases. It's right. just math. Um, so for us, when we look at the two buildings, uh, one of the things I always share with our staff is you can't compare you know, a, a watermelon to an orange. And not saying either one of them are better than the other. They're just different. And for us, when we talk about one large school, um, we do not qualify for Title I at that school. So it's, it's not an apples to apples because ESSA is obviously tied to Title I. And you, and you have to meet that criteria in order to receive those awards. Um, we have high success at both schools. We have higher success at Iron River Elementary School with the students that we have right now. And we all know that that can change when you have a small population. Obviously, you have you know, needs move in, needs move out, and it can fluctuate much more easily than with 530 kids. Um, so we have a conversation very openly and our understanding of it. Um, our when we talk about Iron River Elementary School, is culture. Every kid, inside and out, every parent. Oh, you're cut. so strong. Oh, go ahead. You're cutting out a little bit. Uh, oh. I, don't, I don't know. Uh, welcome to, to rural cell phones. Um, <laughs> oh, there you can go. Can you hear me now? Yeah, are you like leaning out of the upstairs bedroom or something now? <laughs> That's how it was in my old house. I'm on my left foot, not the right foot. <laughs> We were just scared we might have missed something key. So, so yeah. um, where, I, where I was leading in is, you know, when we talk about the success um, with Iron River, we talk about those relationships. And uh, I, I know as an example, because even, even though it's, you know, uh, the, the 1st of August, we've been having these conversations all summer, as every other school district and, and state is, is, you know, these kids that are moving up to third grade and they missed a, a, a chunk of second grade. What do we know about these kids? Yeah. How do we prepare for these kids? And, and the beauty of it is my my kids, as they progress up, they already know that teacher. They, you know, maybe they didn't have them in class, but you know what? They knew that, you know, Mrs. Bessonen was next door and they had interactions and more than likely they've had a sibling or a cousin who's had her and there's a relationship there where those kids know who they are before they ever get there. It's, it's not, you know, someone that's foreign to them or they've never met. So there's, there's a huge advantage going into the year that, A, we have those relationships and those foundations built within our school. And obviously we'll have kids come in and we'll have kids go out. Um, that's a variable we're ready for. But it begins with that foundational connection. Um, you know, letters went out introducing our, our teachers to our students. And at Iron River, we have the the, the letters that go out and they you know introduce even though they already know the kids and you know it's it's not as exciting uh you know hey there's one teacher in, in second grade so everybody's going there <laughs> as opposed to our, that northwestern where it's who am i going to get you know that's an exciting time for kids when they find out who they have as their teacher who's going to be in their class things like that it's just different uh so when you're supervising these two schools, do you like one day go here, one day go there? Do you kind of spend a little time every day at both? I don't know how close they are geographically. Uh, uh, good question. So they are roughly 20 miles apart. Okay. Um, so uh, I always say theory versus application. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a bit of a structural um, uh, 
guru, if you will. My schedule is laid out and I do my best to keep to it. But uh, as any administrator will say, you set your schedule and then you do everything else. Um, so that's that's the reality. When, you, when you're walking the beat, um, and I don't have an assistant principal uh, at either locations, um, when you're walking the beat, it's here's what we plan for. Mm-hmm. And then, oh, yep, we just had this happen. You know, whatever it is, the kids showed threw up you you deal with that yeah and and what I what I try to do is spend a morning and an afternoon at Iron River um I'm a uh, I'm in the classroom principal I'm not evaluative just I'm there um so I try to be in every classroom every week if not every day and I, I do the best that I can between the two buildings and it fluctuates there's times I'm I'm more readily available sometimes it's a quick 30 seconds I'm in I just wave and give a kid a hug and then I'm out um, but I try to be there because, A, I want to have those relationships with my staff where it's an open door and they know that it's, I'm not coming in with a laptop to sit in the, in the corner and critique them. I'm yeah. there to support. Yeah. And if I'm not in their classroom in an informal capacity, they won't trust me in a, in a formal capacity. So it's, again, going back to that culture piece. If, if we want to have success, we need to be able to trust one another and we need to be able to have those open conversations and people won't let their guard down with their administrator to say, hey, I'm struggling with Johnny, if they don't trust you. Right. They're, they're going to put on the dog and pony show, and I'm not interested in that. And my, and my staff know they know better than that. Um, you know, when I, come, when I come in, there's no need. Even my new staff, I work very hard with them at the beginning of the year to say I'm here to support. I'm not here to critique. And I always tell my, my new staff, I hired you. So it's on me because if you're not going to do a good job, it doesn't reflect well on me. So my job is to make sure you are the rock star that we recruited and that we brought in so that I can turn around to my superintendent and my parents and say, hey, you need to see her or him in, in action. This is the this is the person that we hired. And that falls on me. And, and if, if they're nervous with me coming into their classroom as a support, then then we're not going to be able to have that open trust. Yeah. So you talk about trust and relationship building. Um, sometimes people talk about those as if they're easy to create and they're not always easy to create. So how do you, what are the little things that you do to create trust and relationships in your buildings? Uh, Great question. Um, And, and I guess um, knowing that you guys are in different, different worlds, um, Wisconsin went through some tough times and uh, whether it be fortunate or unfortunate, uh, my first years as a principal happened to be around act 10 which is when um, our governor stripped uh, collective bargaining and, and basically deunionized education in, in Wisconsin, which is a tough time. Well, not for lack of, of you know, better thoughts, but at the same time, Wisconsin also rolled out a new evaluation system called Educator Effectiveness or the Effectiveness Project. And those two came out very similar in time. So if you can imagine that you as a teacher group have been deunionized and somewhat taken a personal hit and then all of a sudden you have your state saying oh yeah by the way now we're going to completely change how we're evaluating and your principal is going to be in your classroom every year with a certain platform evaluating you it doesn't take a genius to figure out that nobody trusted anybody yeah and that's that was my first year as an administrator is is when that occurred um and i learned very quickly and and i'm I'm fairly young I, i just turned 41 um, when, I, when I was going into the classroom as a young administrator, I learned very quickly that there was no trust. And it was, why should, I, why should I listen to you or why are you in my room? Because that's not a historic way that evaluation was done in Wisconsin. 
So going back to the what are the tricks of the trade, really it was learning to recognize things right away. And of course, we're all individuals. So I recognized I was a middle school principal at that time that in order for me to be able to have an honest conversation, I needed to be there in an informal manner before I ever was there in a formal manner. And as I shared, I, I will come into a classroom and I'll just hang out with kids. I'll ask questions. What are you doing? Well, how does this work? You know, what's going on? Um, I'm an active uh, principal. I'm on the floor with kids in kindergarten. I'm on the playground um, and with, with fifth graders playing football. You're trying to do different things, but also letting the teachers see that I'm, I'm not their I'm not their enemy. I'm not the, the person that's going to come in and say, you know, pink slip this one and, and keep that one. That's, that's not my role. So through that active engagement in a non-threatening manner, I focused on building trust. Um, and that's really the foundation. I talk about, you know, the two foundations being culture. We have to understand culture and we have to create culture. But trust is a huge component of that, of that building culture. If you've ever been in a building where people think the, uh, you know, the administration is against them, you can feel that when yeah. you walk in the front there. Well, and what and, I, and, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, what I really well, like about what you're saying is the idea, too, that you know those kids. You know the class. You know what the teacher's dealing with, what the challenges are. You're there so frequently that they're able to say, I'm struggling with this curriculum or I need more of these things. You know, uh, I think that helps, too, when you move into that next stage when you're being formal because you've created this, like, connectedness with their world that you, you, they can speak to it because they know you know. It, yes, um, and and I, I I'm a firm believer of if I don't walk in the same trench, um, they're they're not going to trust me. So I use a lot of examples when I meet with with teachers of I struggled as a young teacher. I was somewhat arrogant, I call it, uh, you know, and and I was not open and willing to take that that feedback until I was mentored by some very good teachers and I'll use those examples with my teachers so that they can see it you know we're human we were teachers before we become administrators um, and that's an important thing for young teachers or even veteran teachers to know that you know I've, I've been in the trench where they are I have been evaluated I've been you know given that feedback and if when they can you know when I can use story um, I'm not sure what your, your background is on you know the importance of using story but when we can use story to say you know, here's a struggle that I had, people are more willing to open up to you and they're more willing to have that honest conversation. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm curious about uh, how long you've actually been in the schools and, and if you could talk about how you've, maybe the steps you've had to go through to build that culture you're speaking about compared to where it was before yep. you arrived. Certainly, certainly. So I, I spent, uh, um, was I, I was 10 years as a uh, special education teacher I'm um, in self-contained EBD, and I did that for, for 10 years, and then I did some um, some district coaching along with some uh, consultation work with other districts outside of that, um, and then that led into, I spent four years as a middle school principal in a neighboring district, and then this is my third year as uh, elementary principal in this district, uh, the school district of Maple, and um, I used that period of time very, very structured, if you will, or, or scaffold. Uh, when I met with my, my superintendent upon taking the first conversations was uh, what's the next five years going to look like? Um, as, I, as I shared, I'm organizational, so I have an actual document that year by year focuses on different areas. 
um, that particular document, culture was one of my bigger pieces. And she and I had that conversation of my first year, I need to just get in there and, and get to know people and, and not know people of watching them teach. I need to know people like who are their kids? Um, you know, what, what are their, what are their retirement plans? Uh, how long have they been teaching? Um, and I needed to you know form those connections and, Oh, you know, so-and-so Well, I went to school with them or their, you know, their brother was my college roommate. I mean, those informal conversations, having those purposefully, again, it, it creates that understanding and that connectedness. Um, you know, if, if we've ever, anybody that's ever been in administration, if you happen to have someone that maybe is connected through, you played softball with or against them, or, you know, you grew up playing sports against them, you have a talking point where you can use that talking point to build a, a relationship off of. And that's purposeful. Um, we need to be purposeful in how we connect with our, with our staff and through it, be it through storytelling of experiences or be it through very pointed interactions of going in, watching them and then asking questions so that you can learn from them. Um, and those are purposeful practices that we have to do in order to build that trust and that understanding of where they're coming from. You know, why are they teaching the math lesson that way? Is it, of course, historical. Um, why are we focusing on this in social studies? Is it geographical? Is it something that's important within our, our district or our culture that maybe I hadn't considered? And I need, to, I need to learn that from my my staff. And doing that in my first year was a very important step forward. Mm. So um, do you live in the community where you are principal? I mean, I do. Okay. I mean, I do. Is it the smaller uh, and, and community or the, or the, where the smaller school is or where the larger school? Uh, so, um, my, my wife actually works for the neighboring school district and, and I work for our school district where, and that is a school district where my son goes to school. I have a, a young daughter who will be in 4k next year and I have a, a third grade son who, uh, very purposefully will be in the classroom closest to my office. <laughs> um, it we we do choose to live in the, the community that our kids go to school in. Uh, we don't open enroll, and um, very purposefully uh, we built our house. We didn't uh, purchase the home, but we built our house within the district's boundaries. Because as an as an administrator, I, I truly believe, and getting to my core, that I have to be a member of the community. And when parents see me at the baseball game with my son or the football game on Friday night, um, you know those are important connections with the community because three days later when I'm sitting in a uh, meeting with a parent uh, and we're talking about student behavior or, or needs or academics if they understand me as a parent or see me as an equal and a parent they're more willing to have that conversation without being contentious um, so it, it's it's something that I believe is is purposeful and and I know administrators all over the that will that choose not to live in their district for multitude of purposes. And it isn't always feasible. And I understand that, but for, for our family and for our belief structure, that's something that we choose to, to do um, is to live within our, our community. So I have a question in regards to that transition you made from the middle school to the elementary level. Um, when you were, first of all, when you were in SPED, were you at that elementary level at that time or have you always been secondary and then made that change? Um, so, um, I, actually, the, the first question you had emailed me was tell me what's about your background. I, I should have done that. Um, so, I actually, uh, I, I, I currently am teaching a class uh, at the university level on behavior interventions and functional assessment. And I start that class with um, kind of the unusual walk that sometimes educators take, and I'm one of them, 
Um, I didn't start in public education. I actually started in juvenile corrections. Ah. Um, and I, I had an education degree. Um, I was a, a licensed phi ed teacher, and I taught um, phi ed for uh, a semester as an intern. And from that, I, I recognized that I, that wasn't a good fit for me. I taught uh, pre-K, middle school, and high school sections. And that wasn't what what fit me. And I, I at that time, was working in juvenile corrections um, as, as a counselor and supervisor for uh, male adolescents um, in early teens through 18. And I really enjoyed that. And it wasn't until I was teaching um, phi ed in the public sector that I, I really recognized that. So I, I actually walked out of the, the, the phi ed realm and went back to school and got my special education degree. And I taught uh, resident taught within a residential facility and then within a day treatment facility before coming back into the public sector. And then I was a, a special education teacher at the elementary level. Um, but in that time that I worked in residential, I had students from four years of age um, all the way through 18, which mm-hmm. gave me a, a little bit more experience when you, when you start looking at, you know, A, what are, what are the functional levels of students, but B, how do I systemically plan yeah. and um, as a special education teacher, I always tell them, you, you do have to be a jack of all trades because yeah. you have to be mom and dad and everything in between. And you have to know what your curriculum is in a vertical sequence because you're going to have a kid who's in fifth grade but is reading at a first grade level. Sure. And you need to know everything in the middle in order to get them there. And and that's an important piece. So from a, a curriculum standpoint, I often reference that experience as being so impactful because I would have, I, I had fifth years that were reading at ninth and tenth grade levels, and I had to teach them as well as teaching the thing next to them was chronologically the same age, but all of his all of his letters. Yeah. So you know that was a very good experience for me. And then uh, I I actually went into from from that spot went into the the middle school and spent four years as a middle school principal which was a great experience. Uh, I know people think that middle school is uh, a little bit intimidating. And I personally believe it's somewhat a sweet spot because they're old enough to know better, uh, but they're still young enough to be energetic and creative and quirky and, yes, stinky, but still quirky. Hmm. Um, that's, that's the middle school level. Um, but once I was, was there, I, I recognized I really wanted to be back at the elementary level, okay. which is what, then, what brought me to the neighboring school district. Um, in order to come back to a, a younger group, which I'm very happy I did it. Uh, my wife actually references it that you know I, I see more upbeat about it in that transition because that's where my heart longs with that early intervention, that early support, and I like playing with little kids. You know, there's nothing nothing more fun than being in a kindergarten yeah. class watching watching the chaos as it unfolds. For sure. So um, I, I want to push a little bit because um, I we, we talk to some other award-winning principals and I find sometimes they have a little bit of a difficult time explaining what it is that they do that, you know, that secret sauce uh, that gets them to the award. And, you know, I just wonder, are people thinking to themselves, well, you know, being visible and um, building relationships, those seem pretty straightforward, right? Well, I can't. Yeah, everybody win this award. I mean, I guess anybody could, but you know, what is it that you have done? You think that has really made your school stand out, and and you know, in, I, I, obviously in collaboration with your staff. But 
Certainly, certainly. Um, you know, I just went because I have been asked that question. I was actually asked when we were in Atlanta. I'm like, what is your what is your secret? I said, the, the secret is there is no secret. Um, if you hire the best possible people and you work hard with the best possible community, great things are going to happen. Um, and you know that that is the the secret sauce, if you will, is we have amazing teachers at, at Iron River Elementary School, and and that foundation of uh, culture and that foundation of we won't let kids fall through the crack. Um, that high expectation and those supports that are that we have built in, um, be it with reading sports, math sports, um, even just you know uh, the teachers that recognize you. Hey, you're not in my class, but you need something right now. I'm gonna I'm gonna stop what I'm doing to help you. Those things that exist in culture are really the foundation that help to then lift those kids up. And obviously, you have to you have to bring in consciously. How do we work with our parents? Um, not saying that every parent gets what they want, and it's not a you know the parents are running the show. But when there's a understanding and a a um, support between the parents and the family and and the school, we know that we're going to have more success. And and those are keys to our success. You did talk about a five year plan, and one piece of that was building culture. What what else is included in your five year plan? Great question. Um, so obviously, you know, I've, I've had the fortune. I've been in four school districts, uh, a multitude of of buildings. Everyone operates differently. So uh, within that that structural plan that I have um, that between my superintendent and I is what are the things that we identified, be it before I came, um, but also in my initial year or two, that really are things we could maybe get big bang for our buck with small changes, um, the curricular uh, or scope and sequence wise, um, you know, work like that, or are there big systemic things that we need to address? Um, so it, within my plan uh, that I worked on with my, my superintendent was, number one was, was culture. We needed to build a culture of trust. Um, that was upfront, the number one. That led into, um, we, we have had, I was one of them, our, another administrator, superintendent, and then my, my um, guidance counselor. We went through the Trust Edge training with David Horsager. Not endorsing it, I'm, I'm not paid by him to, to sell it, but it was an uh, impactful practice. Uh, it's a, a pretty, pretty in-depth training on how to build trust. So we, we took those small steps. Um, another layer to that plan is curricular work. Um, there's there's areas where we have purchased curriculum, but we haven't grown what is our curriculum. So kind of turning that lens to say, okay, what comes in the box from that um, program? That's not curriculum. That's resource. We need to get beyond that and have a conversation about what are we actually teaching? And then the next layer is what is it that we are expecting? So what are our, our assessments? And then what is our reteaching practices or what are our enrichment practices? So another layer to that plan was going beyond the box and starting to look at, okay, we know that, you know, be it the, the Wisconsin Model Academic Standards or the Common Core, this is what we're supposed to do, but what are we actually doing? And then how are we tying that to our assessment teaching practices? So we've spent two years digging into that, um, call it power standards or whatever um, districts want to call it. We've dug in and said, okay, here's unit by unit what we say is the most important and now the next layer that we'll be working on next year is what are those assessment practices and of course everybody's in the same boat how do we assess in the uh, fall coming back from COVID-19 uh, closures that's the curriculum based measure piece that we're really going to focus on is how do we say okay here's what we need to know 
how do we get to where are they right now in order to get back to where we need to be? Um, and I'm, I'm a strong believer our kids are going to come back in. They're going to do just fine. It's our high-quality instruction that's going to then bring them forward. So we got to keep the eyes forward and look at what we expect and then bridge any gaps that we see. But using that as the next step is, is important. Um, another piece that's, that's in there, um, we spent some time um, at both buildings looking at our, our instructional day. Um, we looked at you know, how long our kids are there. We also looked at how, how are we utilizing our time. So um, in, in, in the beginning of my second year, we went through uh, some, some uh, master schedule changes, which actually resulted in decreasing the amount of time of our school day. Uh, so not many schools will say, hey, we, we actually cut time out. Uh, we looked at how long our kids were in school and how long they were on the bus and looked at the instructional minutes that are required by our state. And then we just made changes within our school day to really identify when is core instruction happening, um, when are our encore uh, classes happening, and, and how could we make that work so that we're best utilizing our time and our resources. Excellent. So our last question is putting you on a time machine and sending you back in time. And what we'd like to know is, what would you say to your younger self? What advice you would know, you I give said, you? I, when I read your list last night, my, my wife was sitting in bed watching a show, and I sat down after kind of a long day, and I popped open the email and read that. I, I almost spit my drink out uh, as I laughed because <laughs> I, I've had that conversation, not only with myself but with others. Um, the best advice I actually did get when I was a young, a young teacher, I had a nominal mentor who was the director of special education at the time, and uh, he, he looked me straight in the eye in the, one of my first evaluations, and he said, here's the deal. You need to shut up, and you need to listen. <laughs> I, of course, looked at him, and, you know, here's my boss telling me to shut up, and and we had a good enough uh, relationship that he, he then elaborated and he said, you are surrounded by people that are doing it. You are surrounded by people that know. And as a young teacher at that point, you know, listen to those that are trying to help you. Um, you know, it's, it's important that you are taking it all in. It doesn't mean you're doing exactly what they do because we don't need to just replicate one teacher. But instead, look at what works and then ask questions about how, how that works. And then also start to work with those around you to build capacity. Um, I, I mentioned I'm teaching a class right now at the university level. And, and I talk with the students who are they're leaving the university right now, going out into the field in the fall. And I talk with them a lot about when you get into that team environment, nobody will trust you. Just accept that. They will maybe like you as a person. They will maybe see you as an, as an equal in some regards. But they will not trust you until they know that they can trust you. And that is developing listening. So I, I talk with them about when you are in those, be it an IEP meeting or in those grade level team meetings, you know, department meetings, listen to what those around you are saying and then identify how you can start to insert yourself in a way that then people can begin to start trusting you. Because when they trust you, then they will start to come to you for help. And when we start talking about, you know, behavior, student behavior, if you try to go into a classroom and say, hey, teacher who's been here for 27 years has district awards or national awards, whatever it is, you need to do this instead, you're going to get a whole honey moment where the teacher is going to look at you and say, no, I'm not listening to you. And that plan isn't happening in my classroom. But if you change that, that uh, relationship and you listen and you ask questions from that person, maybe take some of it, file it, build that relationship so that we'll 
that teacher is struggling with a student, based on your trust, you can come back and say, well, I don't know, but maybe this will work, or have we tried this, or how about we try this? What do you think about this? And the way that you phrase that, if there is trust there, even a small amount, they will then begin to utilize you as that as that resource, which is the purpose of a special education teacher. We are a resource to help within the gen ed environment. So I talk about the importance of that. That is so great, and I um, I love that area. I'm from Minnesota. Um, spend some time in Boundary Waters. Love Duluth. I haven't really been over on your side here, south of Lake Superior, but I know it's beautiful country. Uh, I I completely agree. You've got a lot of God's God's country right there where you're at. So. Uh, they're lucky to have you, and we so appreciate you coming and being on our call with us and just sharing some of your expertise. We're, we're all trying to do the best that we can, and we love hearing from people such as yourself who are in the field making a difference. Yeah, I, well, I appreciate it. Um, I always tell people I don't have the answers, um, but I work with people that do, and you know, when we ask good questions and, and uh, we build relationships, we find greatness. Yeah. Uh-oh, get back on your left foot. Oh, oh my no. gosh, I think we lost him. <laughs> At least it was toward the end of the interview. Oh, my gosh. Maybe he's going to pop and, back. Oh, there he oh, is. Oh, you're gone. You hear me. That is, you know, and that phone never moved. That's the interesting piece. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, I, what I was saying is, uh, in closing, I have, I have had the privilege um, – I worked in two elementary schools that were recognized by the state of Wisconsin as uh, uh, distinguished schools. And then as a middle school principal, we were off, uh, identified two years in a row. And then obviously at Iron River nationally and state uh, awardees. Common thread is those relationships. If we build those relationships, then we will find greatness. I absolutely agree. And I think you really can't become great or reach that level of greatness without those relationships and that trust. So thank you so I've much. I've never seen anybody do it alone. Yeah, exactly. Well, enjoy the rest of your Saturday. We are so happy to spend time talking and visiting with you. And thank you again. You're more than welcome. Uh, best of luck to both of you in the fall and, and to anybody uh, listening. It's a, it's a uh, great time to maybe take some emphasis off and, and focus on those relationships. That is going to be the foundation of our fall. So yeah. I wish everybody the best. Thanks, Brad. Appreciate it. Thanks, Brad. Bye-bye. You're welcome. Have a great week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.